Blog Talk Radio. to another edition of Cats Talk Wednesday. The Wednesdays are flying by. Vinny Hardy, Terry Brown here with you once again. How's everything, TB? I'm doing good. We finally got some spring weather. It's it's warm and birds are singing and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I'm excited. I'm excited. Yes, yes. It's always fun to finally break through the wintertime. You know, maybe maybe for good this time it might get a little bit cold, but pretty much the rest of the way it's going to be nice and warm and, you know, derby time and all that, the, the trees, the redbuds and the dogwoods and all that, everything's looking all nice. The grass is fresh and bright green. So, yeah, always fun when spring finally gets here. Yeah, and like I said, it's, it's derby time, getting close to that. Uh, Thunder over Louisville this, is this weekend as the kickoff of the Derby Festival. And uh, I tell folks, if you've never been to Louisville, this is this is a, you're coming up on the two weeks you're going to want to come. This is this is Louisville putting its best foot forward and and ready to be the kind of the center of the sports universe as we prepare for the Derby. So these next two weeks are going to be really really fun here in my hometown. Absolutely. Um... I don't keep up with it thoroughly, but from what little bit I've heard, it's supposed to be a wide-open derby. There's no big-time dominant horse. It's just going to be anybody's derby, potentially. And, you know, they're still doing races and seeing who will qualify and all that stuff leading up to it. But, uh, you know, dominant horse or not, it's always fun. You know, the, the, the spectacle never gets old. And... For everybody in Kentucky, because the world watches, but especially for native Louisvillians like yourself, it probably even holds a little bit more special meaning. I think what happens is you're a kid and you get kind of indoctrinated into it, and then you're all about the Derby. Then you, every Louisvillian, kind of go through a phase where you're just over it. You know, you you, <laughs> you hate the crowd, you you hate all the hoopla. But then, you know, for me, once the girls were born. Uh, and they got into it again, so we started doing all the derby events. So I think every Louisville kind of goes through those different stages of the derby. That's definitely understandable, for sure, for sure. Um, and we got different stages of our show, and we appreciate everybody listening. Um, our phone number is 845-277-9373. We got a fun show. We'll get into all kinds of different stuff. We might rant. We might not rant. You just have to stay with us and see what happens. Uh, we'll look back at the end of the basketball season. Uh, we'll look, you know, we're NBA guys. Playoffs are coming 
right around the corner. Our good buddy Craig Bates is a hockey guy. So NHL playoffs was just starting up, so he'll come on and get us caught up on all of that. Um, you can tweet at us at Cats Talk Wednesday, Cats Talk WED. Same thing on Facebook, facebook.com slash Cats Talk WED. Leave a comment there if you like. Uh, got the Facebook Live going, leave a comment there. Also got the link up where you can get the full show, blogtalkradio.com slash Cats Talk and listen to Terry and myself, because for those who do pop up the live, it is me talking, then it is me quiet. And they're like, what is that? Because I'm listening to you or our guest. So click on the link, you can get the full show. If you want to watch on one device and click the link and listen on the other device, feel free to do that, whatever is your fancy. Uh, We appreciate everybody who takes the time to listen to the show. And it is brought to you by the Smoky Mountain Trader. Uh, right here in Morristown, Tennessee, uh, in my neck of the woods, uh, 5063 West Andrew Johnson Highway, 423-587-1700, Wynn Earls from Millsboro, native Bell County, um, big blue fan, is running the show there at the Smoky Mountain Trader. Anytime you have any kind of needs, graphics, advertising, classifies, they can take care of you. If you want to list something that you want to sell, if you want to look and find something that you want to purchase, appliances, vehicles, small items, large items, anything in between there, feel free to definitely check out the Smoky Mountain Trader. Go in, like I mentioned here in Morristown, or look them up online uh, at vsmtrader.com, 423-587. 1700. You can email Lynn at ads at vsmtrader.com. So the Smoky Mountain Trader, we definitely appreciate them helping bring the show to you each and every week. And also, you definitely want to remember our good friend Aaron Huff, Huff Law Office, TB. As you know, it's Master's Week. You get a lot of pressure on you if you're leading on Sunday you got a three-foot putt to win it. It's a lot of pressure. Sometimes if you don't handle it well, the pressure becomes too much. The same thing can happen from a financial aspect. The pressure can kind of weigh in on you and, and, and come at you from all sides, and at times it may be too much to handle. Foreclosure, repossession, wage garnishment, tax issues, mounting credit card, or medical debt. Do you need a bankruptcy? You may. You may not. Call Aaron Huff at the Huff Law Office, 859-647-0713. Got an office in Florence, Kentucky, but he represents the Covington, Lexington, Frankfurt, and London divisions. If your finances are rough, call Huff. Huff Law Office, Huff Law Office, Aaron Huff up there in Florence, Kentucky. Check him out on Facebook and Twitter, at Huff Law Office. Definitely appreciate them bringing the show, helping bring the show to you each and every week. Our good friend Craig Bates will be on at 615. He always enlightens us on all things NHL, TV. And, of course, basketball season is over for college. Virginia cuts down the nets with the win over Texas Tech on Monday. So the... The storyline for them, you know, having getting knocked out by UMBC as the 16 took them down and, and waxed them uh, last year, and then they 
had a lot of near-death experiences in this tournament. Gardner-Webb had them down 14 in the first round, and we almost had a Yogi Berra deja vu all over again situation. Purdue had them. Auburn had them. Texas Tech had them. But they were able to uh, shake them off each and every time and find ways to come out on top, you know, in thrilling fashion, in controversial fashion, suspenseful fashion. They were able to withstand all comers. Yeah, I mean, you, you tip your hat to Virginia. Uh, you know, I, I think that they are, I mean, they're obviously the champion. Uh, I'm not a fan of the style of play, the kind of slow. Even though there was an offensive explosion uh, in the championship game, I'm just not a fan of of, of how uh, Tony Bennett, his coaching style. That doesn't mean it's not successful. Obviously, it is. I think over the last two seasons, they lost to Duke. There was that UMBC game. But, you know, they've been the, the, the cream of the college basketball crop for the last few years. So, uh, for them to finally punch through, uh, Tony Bennett gets off that list of best coaches to never have won. So, uh, you tip your hat to them. I think down the line, down the road, this is one of those instances where, you know, it was just a championship. Uh, I don't think this 2019 Virginia team will be remembered as an all-time great, but it'll be one of those middle-of-the-road teams that I think Virginia fans will look back fondly, you know, like we do with 1998. Maybe not a lot of household names, although, you know, our uh, main benefactor, Cameron Mills, obviously made some big shots uh, in that run, but not a lot of maybe flashy NBA names. Uh, but they, they, they managed to, to overcome and, and, and win a championship. And, again, that reminds me of the 1998 Wildcats. I mean, you look at the, the uh, Auburn game, the way it came to uh, the Final Four for uh, Virginia. You look at the championship game going to overtime, and uh, you go back to the Elite Eight uh, game against Purdue with the missed free throw, the tap out, and the and the shot to send that game in overtime, all very similar to what Kentucky fans saw in 1998. You know, that probably shouldn't have won that Duke game being down 17 in the second half. Uh, you know, the overtime uh, semifinal Final Four game against uh, Stanford, which I say is one of those games mm-hmm. that gets forgotten about, but is absolutely a fantastic game. And and Pete Sauer for uh, for Stanford had a shot in overtime. It was like a, a half-court, three-quarters court shot that that could have gone in. I mean, it was a nail-biter. And then uh, for uh, those cats to turn around against Utah and, and, and be down 10 and win going away. Uh, you know, I've always said right. the 96 cats had the best 20 minutes of basketball I've ever seen. When you look at that 86-point first half uh, they had against uh, LSU that year, but 1998, if you watch that game being down by 10 at the half, and then by the 10-minute mark, we're up five points. Like, like there's that 15-point that swing in 10 minutes of basketball, which to me is insane when you, when you look at it. Uh, so, again, tip my hat to uh, Virginia. I don't buy the narrative of, you know, you know, worst to first. No, that's not, you know, that's if you don't make the tournament and then you're the champion the next year. Uh, oh yeah, that yeah. would have been more in line with like the 2014 cats. Have we been able to pull that off? But 
I tweeted this out, and I honestly believe that. If you're going to give credit to Coach Cal for riding the ship after that Duke beatdown, the beginning of this season, and I, and I think you have to. I think you absolutely have to uh, commend him for getting the Cats on the cusp of a Final Four. And, and you know, with overtime loss in the Elite Eight, that, that's pretty darn close. I know we don't count that here in Kentucky, but to bring that team back from where they were mentally was huge. If you're going to do that, and I do, then Tony Bennett, you have to give him and his staff credit for – bringing that team back because I wasn't the only one that doubted Virginia. I mean, a 16 over a one seed and the very nature that it wasn't really close for most of the second half. That, that can be a, a program changing event, but they stayed the course. Mm-hmm. They stayed true to themselves. And one last little point. I know we got Craig coming up. I'll say this about Tony Bennett. When, uh, we look at those last three games of this tournament. When crunch time hit and they had to make plays, the Virginia kids made plays. They didn't panic. Right. And that is a yeah. testament to coaching. That is a testament to them. Uh, you know, they play their way. I'm not going to say it's the right way, but they play their way. And to me, that's amazing. Against Purdue, with that missed free throw and it gets tapped out to midcourt, 99% of the time, that kid shoots up a crazy off-balance three-quarter court shot, right? But for him to find his big man for a closer shot, for the big man to, to know, hey, I got to get this shot up, that's coaching. We can talk about missed calls and, you know, that, but Virginia made the plays they had to make, and, and that's how you become a champion. So I tip my hat to them. I do not like their style of play, but it's a championship-winning uh, style of play. You have to, you have to say that now. Yeah, and when they lost to UMBC, you know, they didn't really use it as an excuse. Hunter was hurt, but I think last year he was like a six-man. I don't think he was a starter. But still they should have had enough to beat UMBC. You can see that he is a player. You say, you know, probably not household names, not flashy but he's definitely going to play in the NBA, uh, and he did it on both ends. He hit the shot with them down three to tie it with 12 seconds left, and he was primarily the one guarding Culver for Texas Tech, who's probably going to be in the NBA as well. So for him to ball out and have 27 points, you know, in a decisive title game, and Guy and Jerome and all those guys, they did make plays, like you said. Um, definitely his uh, him being there this year, definitely helped him out with him not having him last year. So, you know, he was a good player. Um, And, you know, everybody has different styles. We don't really care for it. You know, we went from, look at your guy, Pat Riley, and we definitely get to Craig and see him on the line. Riley with the Showtime Lakers, and then you see him up there with the Knicks and the Rockets in 94 in that series. Nobody's breaking 80. And just, you know, and Mike Fratello, I tweeted out, At the beginning of the game, Texas Tech and Virginia said, if you don't remember Mike Fratello and the Cleveland Cavaliers, that's what the first 15 minutes of Texas Tech-Virginia was like. Remember we had Terrell Brandon, who scored like 17-18 a game on that Cleveland team, but <laughs> had he been on a team that played offense, he would average 25, 24-25 a game. But that's just the way Fratello wanted to play with Tyrone Hill and, and those guys. He just wanted to make it ugly and 
make it knock down drag out. So aesthetically pleasing, no, but they have a banner and a trophy now, and and they are the champs. So uh, Ralph Tassel is happy. He wasn't able to he wasn't able to do it in his time, but no doubt he is proud of what his alma mater did Monday night. And we will shift gears right now because our guest is a friend of the show. If maybe been on with us more than any other guest, um, and finally got to meet him and see him in person a few months ago. And after he gets off the phone with us, TV, he is fixing to go and coach some hockey. Not only is he still playing, now he's taking up the coaching and teaching aspect of it. The former UT Hockey Hall of Famer, Craig Bates, is on with us now. Sorry we got the yakking and kept you on hold. Craig, welcome to the show, man. Oh, it's good to be back, boys. And, yeah, like I said, I I coached the game younger kids last night and then uh, uh, daughter's playing on a high school hockey team, so I'm going to go coach that. And, you know, Vinny got to meet got to meet my wife Jenny, and and this is you know I think she's looking out for you both because I had had a whole thing where I was gonna I had written some lyrics uh, to the tune of uh, it's the most wonderful time of year with the whole hockey thing, and she just looked at it and said, "I've heard you sing, don't do that to them." And I was like, you know, oh man, come on, and then you know, and then yeah, I hear like TV was talking about Tony Bennett, so in my head I've been humming. You know, I left my heart in San Francisco, and I was trying to say it was a it was a sign that I was supposed to sing. But then, you know, with the uh, discretion being the discretion being the better part of valor, and you know, for everybody's ears' sake, I'll just know just know that in my head I had a whole song going about this being the most wonderful time of the year for me and a lot of hockey fans because it's you know it's it's NHL Stanley Cup playoff time. Absolutely. So we owe the lovely Jenny Bates pretty much whatever she wants for steering you in a different direction, I guess. Yeah, I was going to say, she she's listening, and I just saw a big smile on her face. So uh, she may be holding, that, <laughs> holding you up to that. I'm just saying. So, um, yeah. But, no, everything's, everything's great. I'm hoping everything's doing well with you guys. Like I said, I, you know, for me, Stanley Cup playoffs start tonight. It's, uh, you know, for me, last night the Rangers did the best they could do, which was get second in the NHL draft lottery. Of course, they lost first first mm. the Devils, but we're not going to talk about that part of it. And then, uh, you know, I've got a good friend of mine, a guy I think Vinny uh, may have met, uh, Jimmy Hickok, big big buddy of mine that I've played hockey with forever here in town. And he's been a, he's a new, you know, long-time, long-time New York Islanders fan. And every time I play hockey with him or, or you know, see him, he, he does his best not to remind me every five seconds that the Islanders are in the playoffs and the Rangers aren't. So, you know, I just kind of just say, you know what, that you know, I don't know if you guys look at this when you see, you know, I know you're talking about, not liking the pace of play and everything else with what was going on with the NCAA. For me, seeing the Islanders in Pittsburgh in the first round, you don't want to wish ill on anybody, but, you know, if the whole if there was another Jean-Claude Van Damme moment, like in the movie Sudden Death, and someone tries to blow up the <laughs> Penguin Stadium with both those teams in it, I might be sad for a second, but, you know, as far as I'm concerned, once we get the Islanders and, and Penguins out of, the, out of the playoffs, everything can move along nicely as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I see the standings here, and I definitely feel your pain when you're watching two teams that you're you're not fond of. Definitely gonna get to the standings and who was, you know, the favorites and who was the sleeper, who were the surprises. Um, but we were talking, and you know, your ears might have been burning. We mentioned Craig last week, Terry, because we were talking about the the Wolves Slugging Museum, and you were talking about how prominent a part the Louisville Slugger Bats played in the game of baseball. And then that led you to ask a question that, you know, 
we didn't really know the answer to as far as gear and stuff goes. So, TB, I'll, I'll let you ask. Cause... Yeah, what I was talking about, Craig, there's the there's Louisville Slugger bat, which everybody kind of knows as, you know, part of baseball and all that kind of thing. But it's strange because we don't have a, a big-time professional team here. But I didn't know in hockey, is there anything, you know, as far as sticks or skates that kind of has that same kind of, that as far as equipment goes, that same kind of cachet? Well, you know, it's funny because there's always been, and they've changed hands a lot. You know, in the, you know, when I first started playing, everything was wooden sticks. You know, that was what you had. I still have, you know, just one of the, the nuances of how the game has changed, you know, in the way, you know, I have, a, you know, like a, a small, uh, you know, acetylene torch, propane torch. And back in the old days, you would get a wooden hockey stick and you could heat up the, you might see it in some of the old movies if you've ever seen Miracle and things like that. You'll see guys heat up the blades and you can actually curve it to your own personal preference. You know, sometimes I would have a, a real stiff curve. Sometimes I wouldn't have as much of one. And now everything is with sticks. Everything is, you know, these composite sticks, carbon fiber, you know, they, they are a heck of a lot more expensive than they used to be. But, you know, you, don't, you can't do that same sort of a customization like you could with, you know, with hockey sticks back in, back in the, you know, as I, as I grab my cane and say, back in my day, you know, we could do, you know. But, you know, it's changed so much. But to, to your point, there's always been two companies that have always, you know, always had the, the name recognition in, in hockey, and that's Bauer, B-A-U-E-R, and, and CCM. Um, and those are, you know, there's other companies that do stuff, you know, TV with your daughters playing, playing lacrosse, you probably have heard of a company called STX that does a lot of lacrosse stuff. They've gotten big into, into hockey sticks recently. Yeah. You'll see some, yeah. so a lot of pro yeah, guys we, making, we, we, using, we're into that. <laughs> yeah. Using STX sticks. And so what's funny is, you know, back in the nineties when, uh, you know, when, when hockey had, you know, had their big resurgence back in, back in the mid to late 90s, you know, Nike actually at one time bought Bauer. And Nike skates were the ones, if you remember, there was a bunch of old commercials with Sergei Fedorov and a lot of the guys, Ilya Kolachuk, who was, you know, in the, in the 2000s with the Thrashers and then went to the Devils and he's back in the league now. But, you know, that was the big thing for people was Nike came out in the late 90s with a Sergei Fedorov skate and it was white. Uh, it was a white skate with, you know, some different colors to it. Now, going back a little bit in history, Charlie Finley, the guy that owned the Kansas City A's, moved into the Oakland, Oakland, Oakland A's. He actually had, and if you, you know, if you know the Oakland A's always wear the white shoes in baseball, well, when uh, Charlie Finley owned a team called, originally called the Oakland Seals, and then became the California Seals before they finally went away and you know, moved around a little bit, well, his first two seasons in the league, he actually had the Seals wearing white skates. Uh, just like, you know, just like the A's did. The funny part about it was back in those days, you know, skates were a lot heavier. Skates have also changed a lot. And what they had to do to make them turn them to make them appear white was they actually painted them. And the players all complained because they were using heavy paint. So their feet weighed, you know, a pound or two more than anybody else's feet because they had layers of white. They kept putting layers of white paint on it. So that, that went away for a long time. And, you know, but that was the one, if you ever see this old, the stuff with the old Oakland Seals, I'll send you guys some pictures you know, on, on Twitter and Facebook, but they had white skates. And so Nike was in the game for a while with Bauer and they did a lot of, a lot of Nike marketing with it. And then, you know, both of those companies, you know, there's a lot of other competitors. There's a company called Graf uh, who makes hockey skates, GRAF, which is a European company. But, you know, the vast majority, if you just happen to watch a, watch a game, 
kind of like you see in college with, you know, with teams have the Jordan, you know, have the Jordan logo or Nike or Adidas teams or whatever, you'll see a lot of the guys will have, a lot of the players use CCM or Bauer, and you'll notice it because their gloves will be CCM, their skates will be CCM, their sticks will be CCM. So they're getting that, you know, you know, the, the endorsement deals for that. And, you know, I, I'll buy, there's a couple of companies that I buy my hockey equipment from. And what you'll see sometimes is guys that are playing in the NHL will have a stick from a competitor. Let's say a guy is signed to a CCM contract, but his favorite stick is a Bauer stick. He'll spray paint the Bauer stick and put CCM labels on it so that nobody knows. So you'll see that, you know, it, they'll talk about it and it's a, a Bauer stick dressed as a CCM stick because for their endorsement deal, you know, super superstitions, you have sticks that you like to use. You know, I, I've got one stick that Vinny, you saw me probably use that one game and it, you know, it's broken apart so much. And now when I was playing a game not that long ago, one of the, uh, one of the referees asked me if I was using a rain stick because there were so many broken pieces inside of it. When you turn it up some, upside <laughs> down, it sounded like one of those Australian rain sticks because so many pieces of it were clattering around inside of it. But Realistically, ninety probably eighty-five to ninety percent of the guys in the NHL either use Bauer or CCM. There's some other companies like I said, STX, and some other companies that are out there that other people use. But at that level, that's that's it's not the same cachet that a you know that a Louisville Slugger has in baseball. But you know most most hockey people wear you know CCM or Bauer skates and equipment, and and you know that's probably the two biggest names as far as that's concerned. Talking with Craig Bates, UT Hockey Hall of Famer, and Jimmy Hickok is on Facebook Live just kind of stirring it up and poking the bear, wanting to make sure the, the Islanders are mentioned. And he also said that you're not bitter, and he also said uh, he's wanting your your uh, predictions for the Stanley Cup, which we'll, we'll definitely, definitely get to. Um, and as we get into that, too, I – I want to ask too, which was it Edmonton or somebody that was playing Edmonton where the guys were in the Uber and they were bashing the coach and the organization and, and all that? Um, was that just earlier in the season? Yeah, that, where that they was were towards the end of the season, given which, the, is, which is funny. Our, our family is kind yeah. of a house divided. I, you know, I'm, a, I'm a Rangers fan. Our daughter Josie's a Sharks fan. Our son Luke is a Bruins fan. And, and Nathan, our youngest, he's – He's a big Edmonton Oilers fan, and his favorite player is Connor McDavid, who was the one that basically came out. You know, he's considered, you know, probably the best player in the NHL right now. Um, the guy can skate like you would. You know, they had – I don't know if you saw in the NHL All-Star game or anything like that, but just to give you an idea of how fast McDavid was skating, you know, one of the times that he got it on his skates, they were clocking him 30, 33 miles an hour. You know, and, you know, that's how fast he's moving. And so Edmonton has had a, a few seasons that are pretty bad. So, yeah, he was the one that came out this last year because he's, he's the face of the, of the Oilers and the pretty much, you know, the face, you know, you've got your Ovechkin's, you've got your Crosby's, but you know, the new breed guys is, is Connor McDavid and McDavid basically came out and said, you know, I'm, I'm sick of losing. And, you know, I've got a contract that runs for three or four more years here in Edmonton, but if they don't start, you know, if they don't start getting more players in here so we can start making the playoffs, you know, in a year or two, I may ask for a trade. Now, because he's a Canadian guy, it was very nice and calm and, you know, very polite when he said it, but it was still kind of sent shockwaves through everybody because here's a guy who's, you know, came up first, you know, the first overall pick four or five years ago, 
And, you know, as always, you know, toe, you know, toe the company line as far as the Oilers are concerned. And for him to come out and say, hey, I'm going to ask for a trade, which is, you know, something that doesn't really ever happen hardly at all, if ever, in the NHL. But for this guy who, you know, and, of course, the Oilers have, have gone scrambling and said, you know, you know, what do we want? You know, what do you want us to do? You know, you know, behind the scenes kind of thing. And the funny thing about it is they fired their general manager about halfway through the season. And the interim general manager, who is the guy that's responsible for, you know, signing players and anything, of all people, is Wayne Gretzky's younger brother, Keith. Keith Gretzky is the interim GM of the uh, of the Oilers right now. And so, you know, they had, when they had the NHL draft lottery on last night, to say that his face looked like he'd eaten several lemons right before he went on air was pretty pretty apt because, you know, he's got a lot of pressure on him because, you know, he's got to find a way to actually, you know, one, get players to want to come to Edmonton. Two, you know, is he going to trade some guys? You know, would he ever trade McDavid? Would he, you know, you know there's a lot of questions because, you know, on the open market, a guy like McDavid, you know, it would be, you know, you know, equivalency of, of you know, the best player in, in any of the leagues, uh, you know, a, a trout for the Angels, you know, whoever else it might be asking wow. for a trade. And, you know, what the, what would the ceiling be on that? And so, you know, they just moved into a new building, Rexall Place up in Edmonton a couple of years ago. You know, it's it's one where, you know, you don't, you don't see this happen a whole lot in the NHL and, you know, and there was another guy, Taylor Hall, who was actually on Edmonton, who got traded to the Devils two years ago, and he came out and said the same thing a couple of days later. Hey, you need to get some help here, or I'm not going to resign. Now he's going to be a free agent at the end of next year, but you know, the, the Devils winning the draft lottery, which was, you know, of all, you know, as I, as, as I most, the best way I can put it is we were watching it last night, and 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 Luke, our our 12 year old you know, saw that the Rangers were down in the top two and that they didn't get the first overall pick. And he was like, wow, Dad, your team's going to be bad again next year. You know, and I can't do anything about that because he's he's a little mini-me. So, you know, I, you know, he's he's me incarnate. So it was not much that I could do, uh, what, what, which I could do with that. So, you know, it, it's interesting to see how when the playoffs shake out and then, you know, you've also got the other factor of Seattle's coming into the league in 2021. You know, it's just two years away. You know, you're going to have 32 teams in the NHL, and you know to see what Vegas did last year as a expansion team, and everything that they're saying that Seattle is going to get the same considerations. Teams are already looking at what they can do to, you know, a not let Vegas, not let Seattle go to the Stanley Cup final in their first year, but also you know what players are they going to give up on, what players are they going to make available, and so having something like this, you know, you've got to have. You're not just thinking a year out, but you're thinking two years out, three years out, because it's really going to be something that you're going to have to think about how your team's going to be going to be there and who you're going to expose to the draft and and everything else. But yeah, for Connor McDavid to come out and do that was, you know, was was shocking to a lot of people. But you know, I, I think it's good for him because you know, he's he's a guy who's like I said, put up unreal numbers every year he's been in the league so far, and you know he's made the playoffs once. He got bounced in the first round a couple of years ago. You know, what is it? What is it going to take? And you know, it'll it'll be interesting to see how all that stuff plays out. I'm of course very casual. You said McDavid is a really fast guy, right? Speed, a speed guy. Right. right. Is, He's got speed hands he, and a great shot. <laughs> is he faster? And this is how far back I go and how casual I am. Is he faster than? Fedorov was, and that, that's the name I knew back in the day because he was fast, and also because he was married to or linked to Candace Cameron from the 
Full House days back when we were all teenagers. Is he faster than Fedorov? He is. I mean, he's probably the. There was a guy, know. you know, to show to show my age. There was a guy that played for the Canadiens back in the uh, in the late '60s, early '70s, named Yvonne Corbier, who they called him the Roadrunner because it was what you know he was like. What him skating was like watching the Roadrunner cartoons, and, you know, and just take off past people. And McDavid, you know, McDavid is you know he 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 is probably you know one of the if not the fastest skater I've ever seen, and. You know, and for him to be able to do that now, you know, he's won the, you know, they do a, in the NHL all-star game, they do a fastest skater competition and, and, you know, and he's won that two or three years running. And so, you know, and he's, again, 23, 24 years old. He's been playing, you know, in the NHL since he was 18. I mean, here's a guy that, you know, not to sound like I had a John Madden moment where I was like, here's a guy, but, you know, he's got pretty much the whole package and, you know, he, you know, he, he led, the league in assists this year, you know, the, the two players, there's a guy named Leon Dreisaitl that plays for the Oilers as well, and they both had, you know, just fantastic years. But the team, you know, with it being like every other team sport, you can have one or two really dominant guys, but you got to have people to back you up, and the Oilers didn't have that, and that's why they're, you know, they're sitting home this, this playoff season. And I'm just looking at the standings, and I see Tampa Bay's, 62-16, and it's like four overtime losses. They got 12 wins more than the next best record in the league. Were they expected to be this good? Did they kind of come out of nowhere? Everybody else is 49, 50, 48 wins. Everybody, you know, across the league. Right. In every division, every conference, the Tampa Basin, there were 62 wins. Did everybody see that coming, or did they kind of – take the league by surprise. Well, you know, they had a great, great year last year. They wound up losing in the conference finals. Four games, you know, they went to seven games, lost to the Caps, who wound up winning, you know, the Stanley Cup last year. So, you know, they had a great team. There was a lot of people that were predicting them to have a have a really good season, if not a great season this year. But, you know, they, they actually tied the NHL record for most wins in a season this year. You know, 60, you know, there's 82 game season. They won 62 of the 82 games. And so, you know, they they really have, you know, they just honestly, it's kind of like, like you know, I, I'm a casual NBA guy, and so, you know, they would be the equivalent of how the Golden State Warriors have been, you know, this year. It's it's re- it's literally Tampa and and everybody else. Um, but that's mm-hmm. you know that's the funny part about playing in the Stanley Cup playoffs is that you know you get guys that get injured, you get guys that, you know, play through some pain. They, you know, they, they can roll, you know, most – every team has, you know, has four lines of four lines of forwards and three lines of defensemen. Most teams, you know, if you're a really good team, your first two lines really carry you, your third line is a checking line, and your fourth line is a, is, is a grind line, what they call it. You know, you go out there and just kind of throw the body a little bit and, you know, and just – play good defensive hockey, all four lines for Tampa can score, can play hard. I mean, they're just – I've watched them I've watched them a number of times this year, and, you know, I don't want to say that they're scary, but they're, you know, they're just a scary good team. And, you know, but, again, you get in the playoffs, you know, they're playing Columbus in the first round. Columbus last – you know, was basically the last team into the playoffs. Columbus has never won a, a playoff series. Last year, 
they had the they had the Caps in the first round and were up two games to one and actually went into overtime in game four. And if they'd won that game, they'd have been up three games to one, which is, you know, as you know, very hard to come back from. Washington came back and beat them, you know, basically three straight games to win the series. So for them, it's, you know, realistically, you know, it, you know, you don't want to you don't want to be the one going. You know what? This is the best team, and you know, putting in the putting in the front runners because that's what everybody does. But you know, unless they get some injuries or unless you know they run into a really hot goaltender, they're going to be a very very difficult team to beat in in the in the playoffs this year. Now, Craig, I got to ask you. You touched on this. Uh, sorry, Vinny. That you know, I'm a, a casual kind of you know hockey guy. But there's been that notion, and I'm thinking back to, like, Patrick uh, Roy uh, for the Avalanche, I believe, and Dominic Hasek, you know, for, uh, for Buffalo years and years ago. If, if you've got a goalie, it's always – if you've got a hot goalie going into the playoffs, that is the way you advance. And exactly. And you're kind of looking at the landscape now. Is there a, is there a goalie that you're saying, yeah, you know, his – his, his forwards and his defensemen aren't doing, but this guy's playing good enough where he can win you a couple of one O games in the playoffs. Is there anybody like that that's jumping out at you? Well, you know, the, the teams that, that really do jump out at me is, as far as that's concerned is, you know, going back to Vegas last year, Marc-Andre Fleury took, you know, an expansion team. He won cups in Pittsburgh and came over as, as the goalie for the, you know, for the expansion, expansion Vegas Knights last year. And basically they rode his back to go to the to the Stanley Cup final. You know, that's you look at a you look at a Vegas, you look at Nashville with Pekka Rene, you know, last year he, he when they were up against Winnipeg in the you know in the second round, kind of, you know, he, he didn't play his best and you know, and that was part of the problem, you know, for the Preds getting bounced last year by Winnipeg. But, you know, there's a guy, um, you know, Vasilevsky the goalie for Tampa, Tuka Rask the, the goalie for Boston. You know, um, Washington's goalie Holtby, who won the Cup last year. You know, a lot of the a lot of the teams that are expected. You know, and that that to me is the only way that Columbus. You know, the old expression of having a, a, a puncher's chance. You know, the goalie for Columbus is a guy named Sergei Bobrovsky, and Bobrovsky is is when he's hot, he's ridiculously hot. And so, you know, he's he's going to be a free agent at the end of this year. He's already said he's not going to. You know, probably not going to stay in Columbus. You know, if if they get if they get hot, if he gets hot and Columbus can throw a few goals in and have, like you said, a couple two one, a couple one nothing games, you know, I think they can hang with them. You know, the, the teams like Toronto and the teams like the Islanders and Pittsburgh and you know Winnipeg and and Dallas is going Ben Bishop. Dallas is going up against the Preds in the first round. You know, the big question mark for the Sharks. The Sharks have an incredible team. Martin Jones, the guy that's their goalie, is is the epitome of what a streaky goalie is because last year in the first round of the playoffs he had just an unreal save percentage. And when he was in the second round against Vegas last year, you know, he had he, he didn't play well and they lost. You know, Calgary is kind of doing a, a goalie by committee sort of thing and they're the you know, they're the first they're the first seed out in the West. Mike Smith, their goalie, is a guy that's bounced around, had a great year. You know, the the Carolina Hurricanes, they they basically took two guys that had been uh, you know, on the scrap heap, so to speak, for other teams, and you know they they worked as a tandem and they did they did a fantastic job this year. So, you know, to me, it's going to be a lot of you know a lot of the teams that are really not going to you know not expect to get out of the first round. If their goalies can can really do some good things for them, then I think 
you know, that they have that, you know, that puncher's chance of, of hanging in there. But when you start getting, you know, when you start getting into the second and third rounds, some of these things can happen where guys can get exposed and really, you know, it's a, a question of whether or not the guys that are there can do it. But, you know, the, the goalies that I mentioned, you know, to, to shout out to the Islanders, Robin Leonard is the, the goalie for the Islanders. You know, if he gets hot, he can, you know, he can do some good things. Talking with Craig Bates, former UT Hockey Hall, well, UT Hockey Hall of Famer, former UT Hockey player, still a Hall of Famer. Um, I got to ask you about the Caps before I jump to the bracket. Uh, won the championship. Ovechkin's been there forever. Finally got his first title. Those guys went just as hard in the off season, celebrating as they probably did grinding during the season to get that title. Did what kind of season have they had? Because look, when the Cubs won it, the next year to me they kind of had a hangover. Still had a good team, but I didn't really blame them for kind of being a little bit out of focus for the first half of the season. First World Series in 108 years. Yeah, I get it if y'all ain't really focus the next year. How have the Caps been? Were they were they focused or were they still kind of having a little bit of that title hangover and kind of had to hit their well, drive a little bit later? How's it been? And, you know, it was such an odd situation for them anyway because, you know, Barry Trotz, who was the, the former coach of the Predators, you know, he won the Stanley Cup with the Capitals and the Capitals basically let him go. You know, he, he won the Stanley Cup and you know, that he wanted a raise. He didn't like the raise that they, they offered him, so he left. They uh, Todd Reardon, I think, who's their, their assistant coach, has been their, their coach, and which, you know, the only reason that I would say that I would root for the Islanders is simply because Barry Trotz left the Capitals and became the Islanders coach and took him back to the playoffs for the first time in forever. And so, you know, if the Caps win their series and the Islanders beat, Pittsburgh, well, then the Islanders will play the Caps, which is their old coach who took them to a cup last, their first cup ever last year. That's who they'll be going up against in the second round. So, but your your question, like I said, you know, if from everything that we saw, and you, like you were talking about, every party that the Capitals had, you know, the Stanley Cup hangover was literal and figurative because I think they drank enough that they would probably have hangovers into probably December. Um, But yeah, the, the team, the team did well. I mean, you know, they came out of the gate slow, new system, new coach, and everything else. But, you know, they wound up winning the Metro. They wound up winning their division so that they're, the, you know, they're, they were the, you know, the, the basically the second seed in the, uh, you know, in, in, in the East. And so, you know, they got things together. They wound up winning a bunch of games down the stretch. They have pretty much the same team that they had, um, before, you know, last year with a few exceptions, a few guys left. You know, one of their, their, big, their big trade deadline pickup got hurt right before the end of the season, and he's out for the rest of the playoffs. And so, I mean, I think when you have a team that has Kuznetsov and when you have a team with Ovechkin, when you have a team with, you know, the, the players that the Caps have, you know, and now, the, you know, the, the collective monkey off their back from, you know, nobody in D.C. ever having never won a championship since the Redskins days back in the 80s and, you know, being the first one for the Caps, you know, they're – they're kind of playing with house money now. You know what I mean? They, you know, nobody really expected them to, to repeat, especially with how Tampa's doing. But, you know, they played Tampa well all season. And, you know, and to me, you know, it's, it's an 82-game season. And the fact that they wind up winning, you know, winning their division 
to get the second overall seed, even though they didn't have as many points as the Bruins, who was, you know, who was unfortunately behind Tampa Bay. You know, for them, they've got, you know, they've, they've still got a great team. And I think, you know, Carolina has been a great story. Carolina, the Carolina Hurricanes making the playoffs for the first time, I think, since 2009. And, you know, their whole thing where they were doing these, I don't know if you saw it, but it's, it's been interesting. They do, after every game, they would do a storm, what they call the storm surge, uh, where they would do, like, choreographed celebrations after they won. And, you know, Don Cherry, you know, you guys have heard, uh, we've talked about Don Cherry before, was the one that <laughs> you know, came on Hockey Night in Canada and said that the uh, – the Hurricanes better not do that in the playoff because, you know, all they are are a bunch of jerks. And uh, the Hurricanes went with that, and that was, became their team motto was bunch of jerks. Uh, you know, they were flashing <laughs> on the scoreboard. They were selling T-shirts. I mean, you know, there was an interview I, I heard where, you know, their marketing guy said, Don Cherry giving us a hard time. You know, his exact words were, Don Cherry dissing us was the best thing that could happen because, you know, it gave them yeah. an identity. And so – you know, Carolina, again, a lot of the – there's not – you know, with the exception of, you know, unfortunately with the exception of like a Columbus and maybe even the Avalanche, there's not a lot of teams that I don't think have a have a legitimate shot of, of you know, winning, winning the first round no matter what their seeding is. You know, but to me, you know, Washington has as good a chance as anybody going up against Tampa. You know, Tampa's, you know Tampa is the – is the proverbial gold standard this year for what, what teams can do. And so to me, that'll be the most interesting part is, you know, what, what teams could do, you know, Luke, my, my son is a big Bruins fan. You know, he's already looking forward to the second round. The Bruins are playing Toronto in the first round. That's going to probably be one of the best series because there's a, you know, an incredible amount of history between the Bruins and the Maple Leafs. The Maple Leafs, you know, they're, to say their fan base is, is torture doesn't you know doesn't give it enough thing. They haven't won a cup since '67. You know, as as Jimmy was, was saying to me earlier, he's he's one of the few people that were alive when when the Leafs won their last you know <laughs> their last Stanley Cup. You know, he's not that much older than me, but you know, he was at least alive. Um, and so you know, everybody in Toronto has kind of like Cubs fans. You'll have that. You know, until the Cubs won the World Series, it was uh you know how are we going to screw it up this year sort of a thing. And you know. Yeah. A few years back, Toronto was up three games to one on Boston in the playoffs, and, and Boston came back and beat them. Boston beat them in the playoffs last year. So, I mean, to me, it's that's going to be a, that's going to be a, a I don't want to say a brutal series, but it's going to be a rough series. And you know, you got Boston who's in there with you know Zdeno Chara, who's probably you know, and if, if you don't know Zdeno Chara, you know, the Bruins play the, the least far night. I do. Yeah. The guy that's six nine without guy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the guy. Yeah, yeah, he's the one that they actually had to change the rules on stick length because they had to custom make his sticks because he's so much taller than anybody else. But yeah, so I mean, there's it's going to be a good series because Toronto's got a young, you know, a young team but a good team, and you know the Bruins have guys that can come at you in waves, and so it's you know all in all it's going to be just you know there's a lot of these series with it with the Cup playoffs starting tonight. There's a lot of these series that are just going to be fascinating but to me the ones I'm looking most forward to are you know the Leafs and the Bruins I think the Dallas Nashville series is going to be really good and you know I think to me anytime you got you know that's what uh, <laughs> I think I told you guys that story there was a guy that said you know there's uh, the guys that do every day should be Saturday and everything else said uh, you know one time in a tweet one of the tweets was you know why watch playoff hockey when I can just snort illegal substances and jump a motorcycle out of a helicopter for the same field so it's every time. It's just, you know, there's always something interesting that happens. And, you know, even when it's teams that I don't have an investment in, 
just watching, you know, watching the, the things that happen in the playoffs is just unbelievable sometimes. So, definitely got to get this in before I let you go, too. For the casual people like me, we've got Calgary, Colorado, uh, San Jose, Las Vegas, Nashville, Dallas, like you mentioned, um, is it Winnipeg, St. Louis, New York Islanders against Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, Capitals against Carolina Hurricanes, Boston, Toronto, and Columbus and Tampa Bay. Um, first of all, before I get your prediction, explain to me the seeding. Because I see a one versus a two and a two versus a three and then a one versus a one and a two versus a three. I'm, I'm not understanding how the seeding is working. Well, and, and that's, right. you know, a lot, a lot of hockey people don't like the way that the seeding is. So basically – in each, you know, in each side, in, in the east and the west, you have two divisions in, in the east and the west. You know, the metro, the Atlantic, the west, and I can't even remember the one, the, the one that the, the central, the one that the Predators are in. So if you win, if you win your division, so in this case, if you look at Tampa, Tampa's a one seed because they won their division and had the most points in the east. Washington, because they won the metro, are the two seed, even though they didn't have as many points as, you know, as Boston did, who was the two. So basically what happens is there's two wild cards and then there's the three, there's eight teams on each side. So in the, in the divisions, the top three teams go and then two wild cards, which is whatever teams have the most points after that. And so the way that it works is Tampa as the one seed is playing the lowest wild card team. Washington, who is the two seed, is playing the second lowest uh, wild card, you know, the second lowest wild card team. Oh. And then yeah, Boston, Toronto finished two three. Uh, Islanders, Pittsburgh finished two three, and so they have to play each other. And that's what oh. people are talking about. Is, yeah, you've got okay. Boston, who had actually had more points than um, Boston had more points than 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 uh, Washington did, but because Washington won their division, they get to be a higher seed, and that that mostly helps with you know who has home ice advantage during the playoffs. So. As long as Tampa's in it, they've got home ice, in you know during the playoffs. As long as you know, then if they were to go out and Washington was still in, they have the uh, the next highest one. So that's 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 okay. how they that, work as far as that's concerned. Okay. And who comes out of each conference to meet to play for the cup, and who wins it? Well, you know, it was funny because Jenny and I and our kids all filled out our own brackets. Um, you know, because we, you know, for, for, you know, we, we've got it right because whoever, whoever wins, whoever gets the most right gets money. Whoever gets the, uh, the least right has to clean the bathrooms in the house for a week. So that'll be interesting. There was a lot of thought put into this one. Um, personally, I had in, in my bracket Tampa playing the Predators in the finals with, uh, Tampa winning it all. Um, you know, with the, the Bruins fan, he, of course, had Boston going all the way to the finals. Josie, the Sharks fan, she had them, you know, had them going. So, you know, if, if you know, if you were to ask me right now, you know, I, I do think that Tampa will, will win it out of, the, out of the East. Out of the West, you know, I think that, having watched Nashville play towards the end of the season and they got really hot, if Pekka Rene plays well, I think they'll do a great job. Um, I think they have an opportunity to win. Um, and, you know, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me at all if, you know, a Calgary or, you know, or, 
Vegas. You know, I think the other team that I think that has, has a real good shot of doing it is Vegas. Um, you know, they have the playoff experience from last year. Uh, the general manager out there has, has, you know, picked up a lot of guys that has re- have really helped them. He picked up Mark Stone at the trade deadline. So, you know, to me, out, out of the East, Tampa definitely, and then either Tampa and, and who I think from the West will either be Vegas or Nashville. Now, like I said, I, I just sent out a message, you know, I think you guys that, you know, feel free to say, you know, for people to say, you don't know what you're talking about, and wouldn't be the first time I've heard that. But, yeah, I think, you know, I think to me Tampa is the team to beat in the East and either, either Vegas, you know, the winner of the Vegas, you know, Vegas is playing San Jose in the first round. That, to me, either one of those teams or Nashville is the ones that I think could, could, could do it all this year as far as getting there. But as far as winning the Cup, you know, to me that's going to be that, – that's it's Tampa's to win, you know, or it's Tampa's to lose. Okay. So, to me, that's, you know, that's what they're – that's what they're, they're the ones that are going to have the best chance to, to do anything. It'll be interesting to see – if the pressure of being the favorite gets to them, you said they've been knocking on the door and maybe it's just their time and they're going to finish it, or maybe that pressure causes them to collapse. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. And, you know, and, and the big X factor, like we talked about, is injuries. You know, if you get some of your guys injured in that, in that first round, you know, it's going to become increasingly more difficult to do what you want to do just because, you know, you're having to scramble to get things that, Injuries are a part. Of, injuries are a part of of the Stanley Cup playoffs, and so you know what whatever they do with the injuries is going to be you know is going to be the big factor in determining how you know how how they're able to uh, to you know to make it all the way through the playoffs. Sure, and uh, Michelle tunes in, takes us out every week. She tweeted a picture. Uh, at Cats Talk Wednesday, and sent it to you too, Craig, of a hockey table that her husband made with some of her son's broken hockey sticks. So that is really cool. So check out that picture as well. And I know you got a game to coach, so uh, definitely appreciate you hopping on and, and giving us the in Stanley Cup playoff knowledge. Definitely appreciate that. It was so good to finally meet you at the Swider Cherry Classic down at the Coliseum in Knoxville, as well as your lovely wife, Jenny. Got to meet her. Uh, me and my boys were able to come down there and meet you guys. And it's long overdue, and definitely got to get up with you guys again for sure. Absolutely. And and TV, just so you know that you know, Jenny and I have on our list to to come up to your fair city and you know and to, to do the same kind of thing. And you know we'll we'll find somewhere to come out there to watch uh, Little Miss play some lacrosse. And you know and I can teach her how to throw some elbows and some of the old hockey tricks. How about that? Well, yeah, well, uh, my my oldest she's playing. She's in seventh grade, playing with the eighth grade team, and she's starting to get a little physical, and I really like it. I really like it. So, uh, any tips and tricks you can provide would be great. <laughs> well, you know that was that was inspiring that we were talking about is that you know, you know all the, all, all of our kids they 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 play pretty hard nosed, and uh, you know that's that's been the funny part. And you know one of the one of the referees told one of the kids to. Uh, don't be your dad. Quit hitting people. So, you know, <laughs> I guess, you know, I guess my reputation precedes me, but yeah, it's just a lot of fun. And, you know, it's, it's one where, and I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting a hard time from, from my, my crew here as we're driving to the game about, about telling stories. So I guess, you know, that's my sign that I need to, uh, Jenny just gave me the either. She was trying to tell me on the crocodile or, 
my mouth water too much, so who knows? If I was in Vegas, I'd be over on that one. <laughs> oh, man, good stuff, good stuff. Always is when you hop on with us, Craig. We always learn something and get caught up on all things going on in NHL. Uh, have a good game tonight, and y'all have a good rest of the evening. And so glad we finally got to meet you, and look forward to doing it again. And hope you get a W uh, on the right. tonight, yeah, coaching I, them up. It, it'll just be me yelling and pointing and trying not to use my my <laughs> colorful language, but we'll see what happens. So, yeah, that's <laughs> the, the, the good part about the good part about uh, coaching high school is that. It's more. It's closer to the language I used when I was coaching in college than it was with the little kids. Cause with you know, when I'm coaching little kids, a lot of the times they thought I was a little slow because I'd be going, "You need to get your selves in gear," and they were like, "Coach, okay," and I'm like, "Yeah, I'm sorry, it's not you. I don't want parents getting mad at me." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was that was for the best. Better to be soft oh, yeah. slow by the little kids' yeah. parents. So yeah, you had to you had to you had to restrain yourself. We get it. <laughs> Cautious isn't my strong suit, but it's one of the things I think I've learned is, is what's best when I'm doing that. There you go. Well, y'all have a great night, and uh, definitely look forward to talking to you again and seeing how these playoffs play out. That sounds great, Vinny TV. Thanks again, as always, Lloyd. Fantastic, love listening to the show all the time, and. Uh, Y'all have a great rest of your evening. We'll talk again soon. Take care. Thank you, sir. All right. Craig Bates giving us hockey knowledge, fixing to go coach him up after he gets off the phone with us. So always fun talking with Craig and his lovely family. Cool to finally get to meet him and his better half. This is Cash Talk Wednesday, and we are halfway through. Our one is down. We'll come back. TV, we got some announcements as far as guys leaving and guys coming back and, you know, next year's team started to take shape and some stuff we knew would start to happen now that the season is over with. Got to talk about that. We got to talk some NBA as well and maybe a little MLB, you know, since the Braves did switch the Cubs and, we, you know, that was happening last week. So maybe touch on that a little bit. We got so much more to jump into. Second hour is on the way. Cats Talk Wednesday. Vinny Hardy. T. Brown at Vinnie Hardy at T. Brown underscore 80. Stay right with us. We'll be right back.
Welcome back, y'all. Cats Talk Wednesday. Vinny Hardy, Terry, TV Brown up in Louisville. Hour one is in the books. Thanks to Craig Bates for hopping on with us. Always fun. Uh, getting caught up on NHL and Stanley Cup playoffs because he knows it inside and out. So we get uh, up to speed now that their playoffs have started and uh, kind of keep an eye on them. And also the NBA playoffs start to start as well. Um, so always fun. It's hard to believe it's already that time of year. It's already April almost halfway over, which, you know, it does mean college basketball is over and it's playoff time for both of those. The announcements TV, and look, first of all, definitely appreciate everybody tuning in. If you're getting us live right now, blogtalkradio.com slash catstalk, we definitely appreciate it. If you're not able to catch us live at the moment, we're available afterwards, you know, shortly after the show's over, wherever you get your podcast, iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, Player FM, anywhere you get a podcast, uh, you're able to to pull up the show and listen at your convenience. Subscribe, download those apps, and then the show will pop up on your phone automatically. You won't even have to search for it, uh, and you can just listen you know, later on this evening or tomorrow or something if you're not able to catch us right now. Tell your friends about us. If you know somebody you think would like the show, say, hey, check these guys out. Uh, subscribe, rate, review, retweet us, hit us up on the comments. Like I said, the Facebook Live is on. Appreciate you all checking that out. Throw some comments and questions in there as well. Uh, TV and I have a, a lot of fun with it. Uh, as expected, P.J. Washington uh, is moving on to the NBA, came back for year two. We saw the improvement that he made from his freshman year. Uh, he tested the waters, got the feedback, and we saw him add that three-point shot. We saw him down low, become more effective, Saw him become more of a leader on several different occasions, uh, vocally and by example. Uh, TB is now um, PJ. I'm sorry, is now headed to the NBA TB. I saw, I forget who I saw tweeted out, but you know the potential that you know he reminded them of a David West type. And I thought that was a good comparison. You know, David West was muddy from that 15, 18 foot jumper, physical as all get out. Uh, rebounder, solid defender, and you can definitely see PJ having that type of career uh, at the next level. You know, you know six seven ish, uh, but big and strong. And, and you saw the shooting touch that he added, the best shoot, three point shooting percentage on Kentucky's team. And you know, he hit a few, and you're like, oh, okay, all right, PJ's hitting threes. And but he kept he kept hitting them at a consistent clip all year long. And it was a testament to, you know, the work he put in uh, over the summer coming into the season. Uh, Kelton Johnson has put his name in there, uh, getting information, getting feedback. Ashton Hagens is back for year two, going to be a sophomore point guard. It'll be fun to see how he grows and improves uh, under Cal in year two. And we're still, you know, waiting to see what, a hero and everybody else does. So it's that time of year. You get to see who's leaving and who's staying and uh, how things will look heading into Big Blue Madness when it rolls around in the fall. Yeah, a lot of a lot of moving parts, a lot of things to, you know, we, we never know what the roster is going to look like right now. 
uh, what the, you know for the next year. So we're waiting, uh, obviously, for you know uh, everything to fall in line. Tip your hat to, to PJ. Came back absolutely, even in a loss, uh, gave us two fantastic games, and I, I don't think we can rave about that enough. I mean, he didn't play for you know almost two weeks, and to come back for a Sweet 16 Elite Eight game and play like he did, that was a testament to his work ethic and his commitment to his team. So, tip my hat uh, to him. So, uh, I've kind of gone back and forth with a few folks on Twitter about this. I'm glad Uh DJ came back. He did fantastic. I'm glad. But let's not get Let's not be prisoners of the moment. We have had other guys come back and maybe not make that leap that PJ had. You know, I think last year he was going to be a second rounder. Now he's looking, you know, he's after his All-America performance. He's looking, you know, could be in the lottery. But we have had guys that have come back that uh, played well. And the, the first guy that comes to mind for me is Terrence Jones. Like, we can, we can, you know, rewrite history if you want to. He didn't quite have the – or hasn't had the NBA career that, you know, we kind of thought. But he had a great freshman campaign, Terrence Jones did. You know, he set the freshman scoring record, you know, his second or third game. He was the freshman, SEC freshman of the year, all SEC freshman, all SEC – uh, perform. He had 15 rebounds in that Final Four loss to UConn. But he comes back, and it was a very valuable piece of a championship team. So, we, yes, we have seen guys come back. We have seen this before. I'm happy for P.J. I hope it's a trend that, that continues, but we've, we've, we've seen this before, guys that have come back. The twins came back, Right. Uh, and Kyle Tucker uh, tweeted out uh, when when Cal was you know UCLA was courting and right before the uh, uh, the lifetime contract, if you will, that you know in, in 2014 that summer it was a real possibility Cal was going. Like yeah. we 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 heard whispers and rumors of that, but because the Twins came back. And Cal said, hey, they came back for me. He didn't leave. If we're looking on impactful returners, you have to put them on that list. <laughs> Cal stays, and we go 38-1. and one. I, I, I mean, so I, I understand what people are saying, and I, I don't think we've seen someone kind of make that leap like P.J. has done. But guys have come back when, you know, they had that opportunity to go. You know, Alex Poitras came back, um, different things like that. Deron Lamb came back. And, and, and Deron Lamb, I don't know how he gets forgotten in, in, in all the players that Cal's brought in, but he was really good. So, uh, again, I'm happy for P.J. I hope it's a, a trend where we can get some guys to stay, you know, two years or, or what have you. But we've, we've had this before. And, and I, I look at Terrence Jones, what his resume was as a freshman – most guys make that leap, but he came back. He let 
uh, Anthony Davis and, and Michael Kidd Gilchrist kind of be the spotlight on that team. But I went to BigBlueHistory.net, and I looked at the box scores for those six games in the tournament, and, and he was a 15.89 rebound guy. That's not garbage, right? You know, he probably could have scored more, but hello, there's Anthony Davis. So I, I think we need to tip our hat to Terrence Jones a little bit as well. But, you know, Anthony Davis only took the fifth most shots on the team, though. I think we heard that once or twice. Maybe. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. And I, and I get that. I get that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just, just <laughs> you know, Cal threw that out there. Just, you know, pointing his unselfishness. And that was just one of his Cal-isms, you know, the years following following AD. But, yeah, there have been, in you know, a lot of good, solid guys come back for year two and, and have good seasons. Yeah, but Terrence Jones did, what, 35 points for the freshman scoring record, was that? I think it was 35. Yeah. Was somebody. And, yeah, and, 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 and I'm thinking, well, maybe it's just me, but I look, he was, you know, high school, McDonald's All-American, parade, top 10 player, ESPN, rival, top 10 guy. And you look at that, and the season he had, he had a very good season. In 2011, yeah. I know Brandon Knight kind of gets the the, the uh, you know the pub, and I think that's right. But but Terrence Jones was was really really good, and I, I think it's it's, yeah. it's not fair to kind of say, well, we've never had this kind of happen. We have, we have. Uh, hopefully, it <laughs> continues. We'll hopefully see it with Hagen, sophomore Hagen uh, coming back uh, if he can make that slow. Like 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 sophomore uh, Tyler Eulis where you, he can uh-huh. pretty much start running the offense and let Cal do other things. I, I think, uh, you know, I don't, we don't know how the roster is going to look next year, but definitely uh, a veteran Hagens makes the team better. That's not a bad thing. Exactly. And so we you know Hagens is back. Um, see about Hero and Keldon Johnson. We're not huge recruiting guys, but the Tyrese Maxey is, you know, committed to, you know, committed to Kentucky, All-American. Uh, Khalil Whitney is there, committed. And the in-state guy who, you know, got to send out best wishes, Dante Allen, who, of course, was coming to Kentucky, Mr. Basketball, senior season cut short by a knee injury. And then was recently in a car accident on top of that. So not only are you trying to get your knee back right, then you're in a car accident on top of that, and it could have been really bad. And fortunately for him, he had a broken collarbone, which that's not great, but considering uh, you can definitely heal up from that as well. But just, you know, you talk about a young man that's been through it, uh, before even becoming a freshman at UK, Dante Allen's been through it right now, and hopefully uh, things kind of calm down for him so he can just focus on, you know, getting healthy and finishing up high school and having an enjoyable summer. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and so, uh, let's see, yeah, Dante Allen. Uh, like you said, it's always – just waiting and seeing, you know, how how the news plays out. And that's kind of where we are uh, in the season 
right now, for sure. But uh, and of course, Cal will will roll with it, and we'll see how the style of play changes to fit the type of guys coming in. And uh, oh, shoot! Look at me about to forget. We just saw the impact Reed Travis had, uh, and even though he was a one and done, he was mature. He was a senior. He's beloved. You hate that he's going to be gone now after the one season. You hate that he wasn't able to get back to Minneapolis to play uh, the Final Four in his hometown, but he seemed to truly value his experience at Kentucky, the impact he had on the freshman just from being, you know, in college four or five years and being through it and helping these young guys along, even though he was learning a new situation himself no doubt will work wonders with the returning guys for Kentucky. And there's going to be another mature grad transfer coming in. Nate Sestina is coming in from Bucknell. So that's another one. We don't know how the roster will look entirely, but we know he's going to be there. Uh, he was second team off Patriot League, I think 15 points, eight rebounds a game. Kind of got some stretch four to his game, but he can bang and mix it up. Bruiser type, like Reed Travis, 6'9", 240-ish, can go down there and and bang around on the block uh, against fellow bigs in the SEC and in the conference. So that's another addition that we know is going to be there as well. So cool to see Cal go out and and do that again with another mature addition. Yeah, I mean, in in Cal, I think what we're seeing is the evolution of his program building. You know, he was on the, the cutting edge with uh, with the one and done. He embraced that, forced Coach K's hands. And now he's doing that with getting the young talent, but also bringing in some older talent. And I know he's been on record kind of being against grad transfers. I, I don't remember the exact quote, but he wasn't a fan. And you know, he's evolving. So uh, you have to look at what he's bringing in. If he brings in, you know, a veteran presence, I think Reed helps this team out tremendously. It, without Reed Travis, yeah. you know, what, what was this team going to be? You know, especially as we saw that Nick Richards and, and, and EJ weren't quite ready uh, to, to be that kind of physical. And, and so that's, as you pointed out, we got another physical guy coming in that will really help out a, a lot moving forward. Yeah, for sure. Um, we've been talking about also, you know, this time of year you get coaching hires and jobs open and jobs get filled. And we're talking about Oates coming into Arkansas last week and Buzz, uh, Buzz Williams coming to Texas A&M, um, Oaks at Alabama. Well, now you've got Jerry Stackhouse at Vanderbilt. You've got Eric Musselman at Arkansas. UCLA finally, mercifully, is able to put it into their coaching search. They get Mick Cronin from Cincinnati after going through nearly every coach on the planet before they finally settled on Cronin. Rumor is that Alfred is now going to Nevada to take 
the vacated spot that Musselman left to go to Arkansas. Cincinnati is in the mix of now trying to find a coach. Rick Barnes is now third highest coach in the land after he decided not to go to UCLA when a lot of people down here thought he was really about to be gone. There was maybe a little bit of egos involved, or maybe he thought he wasn't getting the same love that the football team was with Pruitt and the way he was getting money to pay his assistants and Rick Barnes wasn't, and so he ended up staying. A lot of moving and shaking, uh, and the SEC will again be affected. We get Jerry Stackhouse, though, a guy we saw play at North Carolina, not much older than us, will be at Vanderbilt. So that's just that's an interesting fit to me. I, I don't know. I mean, I know he's been coaching AAU uh, and been coaching for a long time, but just to see him coming to the SEC at Vandy, that's, that's interesting. Well, if you're Vanderbilt, you kind of have to roll with the punches, right? If you're if you're Vanderbilt, you I hate this phrase. I've been in the corporate world a while, but you have to think outside the box if you're Vanderbilt. You know, Vanderbilt, yeah. it, 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 it's like you know Kentucky football. You're not going to attract you know these certain kinds of coaches, so you have to roll the dice on a Mark Stoops and hopes he pans out. Uh, and so, yeah. if you're Vanderbilt. You know, people know Jerry Stackhouse. You know, at least there's a little bit of buzz there. You know, I don't know if it'll pan out. Um, you know, it's to be determined how Penny's going to – his run will be at Memphis. Uh, you look at, you know, Clyde Drexler at Houston. You know, uh, I think the jury's still out on Patrick Ewing at Georgetown. Uh, I saw Chris Mullen step down at, at St. John's. So it doesn't yeah. always – work to bring an NBA, NBA guy in as a coach. It, it just doesn't, especially if he doesn't have a lot of coaching experience, you know, beyond AAU. So, but if you're Vanderbilt, you you, you, gotta, you have to roll the dice. You know, it was a gots-to-go situation with Bryce Drew. I know, you know, they had injuries and that kind of stuff, but you can't go winless in the league. Um, that That's the thing. 18 games, so not 16, yeah. 18 chances to get a win. 18 shots. <laughs> Can he beat Georgia? Yeah. They went 2-16, and 16 and you couldn't even beat Georgia. Georgia was 2-16 in the league. You couldn't beat Georgia? <laughs> right. And and so now we're seeing this arms race, and, and Aaron Torres has been talking about it for a while. The SEC, there's really a commitment to men's basketball. When you look at facilities, but you look at coaching names, um, you know, starting from, you know, Kentucky is always going to be on top, and I don't care what the standings say. Everybody is trying to be Kentucky in the SEC, just like everybody's trying to be Alabama in football. So the names coming in, you know, Nate Oates that you mentioned, Eric Musselman, uh, they had a, a very good run at Nevada. I know they kind of went early in the tournament than they thought, but he's been able to do that. So if they're able to build – the SEC is going to be deep again, and it's going to be a league, uh, you know, I say on par with the ACC. And I know, you know, Louisville fans, well, you know, the ACC has got championship coaches. Give the SEC time, honestly. Uh, I, I know they don't have the, you know, the Rick Barnes and these guys we just mentioned don't, don't have the, the rings just yet, but they're very good coaches give them some time and the SEC is going to be 
a much better league. You know, you think where they were just a was it just four or five years ago? Three teams in the tournament, I think. Was that? I think that was yeah. 2014. Only three teams in the tournament that year. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and to look at it this year, and you got all these teams going to, you know, uh, going to the uh, Sweet 16, Elite Eight. Auburn of all teams makes it to the Final Four. So that's just the testament <laughs> that the, the league is, is getting deeper. And again, that just. Uh, that kind of depth of the league just lets me point out to why the 1996 Kentucky Wildcats are one of the best teams ever because they dominated a really good SEC league. I mean, they were really, really good teams in the league that during the late 90s. So, uh, you know, Cal's got his work cut out for him. We've been saying, and it, you know, kind of goes without saying that, you know, your conference games, there's no easy games. Man. There's not going to be. I mean, we're two years away from really, you know, night in, night out. You're going to have battles on your hands. There's no nights off. You know, for whatever reason, Cal can't win down in Knoxville. You know, that's become a house of horrors. Uh, Columbia, South Carolina, of all places, has become a place where it's tough to pick up a win. But, I mean, you've got Ben Howland that's got, you know, had some success. And, um, you know, Mississippi State. Uh, is, is is trending upward. So it's going to be, you know, Kermit Davis and Ole Miss. I mean, it goes on and on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike White at Florida is kind of the forgotten about, you know, guy that's had some really good teams. So for my money, the SEC is getting much, much better. Uh, it's just that commitment and facilities, commitment and coaching. And then the fans will come. The fans will come. Uh, you know, for, for what is – this is what I'm looking for as a Kentucky fan. You know, if Arkansas goes to play at Ole Miss, what's the crowd going to be like? You know, we talk mm-hmm. about this all the time because, you know, we're Kentucky fans. Of course, we watch all the Kentucky games, and we see the crowds when Kentucky's playing. But the real measure of the league's growth is going to be when's the, what's the crowd like when Kentucky's not in town? That, to me, is when we'll kind of see a culture change around the league. That's the that's the difference, uh, because like SEC football, the crowds are there for, you know, Georgia and Vanderbilt or South Carolina and Texas A&M. The crowds are there, right? That that the football has that backing. We've got to get basketball to that point. That's it. And if a school slips up and, and hires the wrong guy, uh, or you know, it doesn't go well there is a good chance that, you know, with the with the coaches coming in now, that school can get left behind and, and have a lot of ground to make up due to the strength everywhere else. You know, if if it doesn't go well for, say, Musselman at Arkansas or, or whatever, have to make another change, well, you are really behind the eight ball now because everybody else is already serious now, <laughs> league-wide. They've already brought in good coaches who have two or three years uh, head start on you as far as building their program. So it's, you know, some of these athletic directors will, will kind of feel the pressure more now than back when three teams were making it. Well, you have a bad hire, hey, scratch it, start over again. You haven't really lost a lot of ground on the other ten teams that you're competing with because they didn't really care about basketball anyway. That's not the case anymore. Right. And, and 
uh, again, it just goes back to this renewed commitment of of, of, of the ads and, and everything like that. So, uh, I know that Mike DeCourcy of the Sporting News was kind of against Bryce Drew getting the axe at at Vanderbilt, but if you're Vanderbilt, you can't stand Pat. You know, you can't. You know, you you, you kind of have to go and. Uh, You've got to make a move, or else you're really going to be way behind. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Oh, and, of course, we definitely got to switch and get some NBA in as well before the show was over. But a couple little things randomly. You being a Lakers fan, I know you saw it, but and being in Louisville, you were up close to all the stuff that went on with Papa John's and the changes that had to be made and the mistakes that Mr. Schnatter had made before he was asked to leave. And now we see that former Lakers, as well as many other teams, Shaquille O'Neal is on the board. So, you know, in addition to everything else he was doing, you know, TNT, The General, Icy Hot, uh, <laughs> Gold Bond, now we got better ingredients, better pizza, Shaq on the board of Papa John's. So cool of them to try to kind of adjust their image and the way they're perceived uh, and bringing in Shaq to kind of help change some of the indiscretions that have been going on with Papa John. Yeah, uh, it, it's big, big time news. I mean, like you said, Shaq's kind of. If you got the check, he'll he'll advertise. But I think it is a step in the right direction. Check <laughs> is, uh, I mean, he's a he's a great uh, marketer. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I saw a little clip uh, today of of Colin Colin Cowherd, and I'm not really a big fan. Um, but he's talking about athletes that kind of. You know, talk the talk, but walk the walk, and Shaq was right there. I mean, he had the movies and the rap albums and all that, but he actually delivered. Uh, but he marketed himself well, and 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 so I think this is a step in the right direction for uh, for Papa Jones. Yeah, so definitely had to mention that with you know all the ties with you know Papa Jones to Louisville, Shaq to your Lakers, and so on and so forth. Uh, another. Ty, you know, Cal had his lifetime contract. We talked about that last week. Athletic-wise and entertainment-wise, we saw another merger and the, quote, partnership of a lifetime with Beyonce and Adidas signing up with a partnership for footwear and apparel and relaunching the Ivy Park brand and all that. But, you know, as iconic as she already is, this still was huge news to see her partnering up with Adidas about a week or so ago. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and she, uh, I forgot who she was in the meeting with before that, but there weren't any minorities in the room and she, she, she jumped, she bolted. Uh, I think this is the kind of the move you have to make. If, if you want to have a great cultural impact, this is what you have to do. And, and Beyonce and Jay-Z for all the extras, I guess you could say, I think they do a good job in, in that respect. So, uh, I, I don't think I'll be getting any Beyonce gear or Jay-Z gear the same way I don't get any uh, Kanye West Yeezy gear. 
uh, you know, that, that's a little out of my price range, but I still think it's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. So it was noteworthy happening that recently uh, occurred. So flipping to last night, in the no, let me do it before we get to last night with the two legends calling it a career. Let's go back to, and we always talk about it, we always look at it. Um, the the Hall of Fame class in the, the professional basketball, the hoop hall, a lot of names that we know, there's some names before our time, there's some names that we kind of barely remember, but, you know, names we've heard about. You know, Al Adels is making it a long time, associated with Golden State Warriors as a player, as a coach, just known for his toughness. Um, Carl Braun is a player before our time. Uh, Chuck Cooper, one of the first African-American players to play in the NBA. Your tie again, we remember this guy very well, Vlade Divac in the Hall of Fame. I was like, wow, you know, your Lakers start out, and, of course, with the Kings. Bill Fitch as a coach, we want to tell into his career. A team, the Wayland Baptist Flying Queens is making it. Bobby Jones with the Sixers is going in. Sidney Moncrief. Uh, Finn, he goes in now with some books, having a resurgence with the Greek Freak. Jack Sigler, who was also with those books when we were some young kids starting to watch the NBA. And, of course, he played with the Sonics and won a title before when we were, like, two years old. Teresa Weatherspoon, we all remember her with the WNBA and the impact she had when the league was first started. Paul Westfall as a player. We were him coaching the Suns as well. And Tennessee A&I, all of them are going in to the Nate Smith Basketball Hall of Fame this year. So congrats to all of them. All deserved. I, I can't – it's hard to look at a list like that and say, okay, this person shouldn't be in or what have you. The omissions are what rubs me wrong. Number one, Ben Wallace should be in. Ben Wallace needs to be in the Hall of Fame, period. He was a great, great player, multiple, I think, four or five-time defensive player of the year, and he deserves to be in. Also, who made a finalist but didn't make it in, Chris Webber. I mean, no matter your thoughts on on, uh, what happened at Michigan and everything like that, he was a great, 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 collegiate player and he was a great NBA player he was part of that first wave of big men with a jump shot you know that was that transition period late 90s early 2000s with Vladi Divac and again they should get in just because they made the Kings watchable <laughs> that, that should be what they should have in their, in their uh, Hall of Fame bio it made the Kings watchable for four or five seasons so those two guys definitely need to get in, but I can't argue with anybody that, that did make it. No, but I will, I'm not going to lie. I was a little surprised to see Vlade go. I mean, he was solid for a long time and very good with the Kings, but I, I, he never, like, just jumped out at you without popping numbers. Uh, I'm not saying he shouldn't go, but I was like, oh, wow, when I saw him on the list. Well, and, and keep in mind, he came to the NBA older. 
you know, that was still the point in time where a lot of the European guys played in the, in, in, in the European league, and we didn't see a lot of these guys at their best. And, and, uh, and that's a nice segue to uh, Dirk Nowitzki hanging it up. You know, yeah. undoubtedly the best European-born NBA player of all time. Uh, I think he's sixth in all-time scoring, and it's fantastic. But he came along at the right time. He came along when, when guys could come over as teenagers, you know, 18, 19 years old, and get into the league and develop. But Vladi Divac, Arvidas the Bonus, Saronis uh, Marcelunis, a lot of those guys, uh, Drazen Petrovic, we didn't really see a lot of these guys, even Tony Kukoc, as good as he was in right. Chicago, we didn't really see him be that great. You know, we got, we got, we got these older versions. So when it comes to the European players, we can't really say, well, you know, Vladi Divac. And, and I understand what you're saying. Uh, I was not really wowed with him. He was a great passing big man uh, and everything yeah. like that. But he was a more of an offensive dominant force before he got here. You know, if you can see clips yeah. of a young Vladi Divac, especially a young Arvidas Sabonis. Like, I am so upset we yeah. didn't get to see yeah. that guy. Because for passing, yeah. for all that kind of stuff, he was he was tremendous. So, uh, so we didn't so we didn't see those guys at their peak like we did with with Dirk, who is his great 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 career. Yeah, I'll never forget. Just flashing back to Vlada, I remember when he made the play. I don't know if it was a tip in, a pass, or whatever he did as a Laker. And he was almost like a little child. He was so surprised to know how to react. Just the innocence on his face when Magic, and we'll talk about him before show's over. But Magic went and just hugged him. But just the, just the little childlike joy. But I don't know how to react. And I'm sure you know that you've been a Lakers fan. I know you know the play I'm talking about. Yeah. When he was just didn't even know what to do, and Magic went and gave him a big hug and, and was congratulating him on. But just that innocence is, is something I'll never forget uh, about Vlade, for sure. Uh, in addition to Dirk, you, and who in his last game scores 30, last home game in Dallas, spent his entire career there, scores 30, been battling a foot injury, you see him limping up and down the court. You saw it at the All-Star game. Uh, goes out in style in his final home game in Dallas. The Wayne Wade does the same thing. Uh, I think it's his first start of the season, his final home game in Miami. He scores 30. Uh, came in as part of that great 2003 class with LeBron and Carmelo. Uh, and then it's only fitting that Dirk and D-Wade kind of be linked together. They they had a couple battles in the finals. Uh, D-Wade getting that first one in 06. Dirk getting them back in 2011 when Wade was joined by Bosch and LeBron James. Both of those guys' series in the years in which they won, D. Wade flat took over in 06. Dallas is up two to nothing. And D. Wade just said, okay, that's enough for this. And nobody for the Mavs could do anything with him for the rest of that series. Yeah, you had Shaq. But this was the Shaq that was no longer 
in L.A. with Kobe. Shaq coming in kind of playing the second fiddle to D-Wade, and D-Wade just handled business. Same thing for Dirk in 2011 against the big three. This is villain LeBron James, and, you know, not one, not two, not three, not four, not five. This is the Heatles, and Dirk just flat went off and, you know, there's nothing y'all are going to do to deny me this title. And, you know, both of them etched their place with their respective series that they had at each other's expense. Yeah, uh, those are really great finals. And um, Dwayne Wade, you know, uh, a lot of Kentucky fans remember, obviously, the Elite Eight game where he was triple double and amazing. But I had watched enough uh, Marquette Louisville games when they were matched up in Conference USA. Those were battles. And Dwayne Wade had been going against Reese Gaines, a uh, great, great Louisville player. <laughs> and and so uh-huh. I know a lot of Kentucky fans at that point, you know, Marquette, even if, you know, even if uh, uh, Bogans is hurt, you know, we can get this. I said, man, Dwayne Wade is going to be a problem. Like, he's going to be a problem. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. I, I always say one of the great one-ifs uh, of Kentucky basketball was, you know, if, if Bogans was healthy during our lead-A matchup, I say that with the full realization that the way Dwayne Wade was playing, I don't know if Bogans could have slowed him down even at 100%. So, again, it's a what if, but it ain't a slam dunk that we <laughs> that we could have steamrolled that Marquette team. So, Dwayne Wade was fantastic. That's yeah, true. He was the first one of that vaunted 03 class to, to win a title, to, to kind of get that jump. Because, remember, we were still waiting – at that point, on on LeBron to get there, LeBron got the Cavs there the next year. But Le- Dwayne Wade was the first one to draw blood, so to speak. So, mm-hmm. really, really great guys. I, I think, you know, this will probably be the end of one of these guys being with one franchise forever. You know, now that Kobe's gone, now that Dirk's gone. Well, and Wade, I forgot Wade went to Chicago for a minute and a half. So forgive me for that. Uh, but and, and you're Cleveland. not going to see that. Do I? And Cleveland. That's right. That's right. I, I, so I forgot about that. But just – but – and I saw somebody tweet this out that we've seen players, great players, step down. You know, we've – you know, and the accolades they get, but for Dwayne Wade in Miami, for Dirk Nowitzki in Dallas, it seems different. It seems where it's more than just basketball. It's actually he likes the fans. The fans love them. There's more to it, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And even though – Wade kind of slipped and fell trying to get on that scores table one last time. The whole Wade County thing is just, like you said, it's it's different. And he's from Chicago originally, but, you know, it's Miami has embraced him. He made the city his own. You know, he was there by himself, you know, trying to win playoff series and, and, and trying to drag the heat along with him in the early stages of his career. And so – 
when he did get over the hump for that first one, and then you know they won multiple ones when LeBron and them came in there. So yeah, that the city just loves him, uh, and you know this is this is a, a franchise that you know the Heat weren't even a, a team. We were ten or eleven years old when they became a expansion team uh, with Ronnie Cycli and you know uh, I can see the coach's face now, the first coach they had. But, yeah, so for them to kind of yeah, go from that cold. beginning to, yeah, to go from that beginning to, you know, being the elite of the elite in the league in that amount of time and, and Wade being right there at the foundation of it, yeah, of course they're going to forever be grateful to him for doing that for Miami and the franchise. And, you know, and we, we, like I said, we've seen a lot of great players come and go, but, uh, you know, we kind of toss this word out. Uh, a lot, but but they're icons. I mean, they're going to get statues in front of the uh, front of their respective arenas, yeah. and, and and they're they're icons. They're 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 forever linked, you know, to those franchises. Like you said, the the Mavericks had a history of being good, very good, but not great, right? All through the eighties, uh-huh. Orlando Blackman and all that, and then you know the early nineties, yeah. Where they were, they were objectively terrible. But then the, you know, the <laughs> Dallas fans, you, you, they bought in because they had Mashburn and Jim Jackson and Jason Kidd, and there was so much promise yeah. there, and that didn't get fulfilled. And and then you've got, you know, mm-hmm. Steve Nash and Dirk, and and you know, Nash gets shown the door, and 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 Dallas fans <laughs> have to be thinking, oh my goodness. And you watch what Steve Nash did in. In, in Phoenix after leaving and you're thinking, yeah. man, you know, Dirk is MVP. Uh, they win, you know, 67, 68 games and they get bounced uh, the first round of the playoffs. So, yeah. it, you know, to deliver on that, on that kind of promise. And, and like you said, same way for the heat, the heat had been through so much, you know, for an expansion team. And, you know, they had a lot of great players. They went on a, a really great run with morning and, and Tim Hardaway and Dan Marley and, and and those guys and those battles with the Knicks and uh, you know and all that kind of stuff. But to really make yeah. Miami legit, and you know we talk about we talked earlier about uh, what uh, Ovechkin and the Capitals did for DC. You know their first championship since the Redskins Super Bowl. Well, that was Miami. You know <laughs> Miami uh, had been a while. I, I don't count the Marlins. I, I, I look, I, Marlins oh three ninety seven. Yeah, I get it, but that doesn't count. That's not Miami. But you have to go back to the Dolphins. Oh my goodness! Look, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going. Josh Beckett and Edgar Renteria want to have a word with you, <laughs> man. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, so, but but it it, it gave. The Heat and the Heat fans some legitimacy uh, there, so uh, definitely, sure. you know, tip your hat to those guys. Now, speaking of legends, because I know you've been wanting to get my opinion since the news broke that Magic Johnson is stepping down as president of the Lakers. What this this season could not have gone any worse. This was the worst case scenario. Oh my. This, this was the worst case scenario. Uh, LeBron finally showed that he was human uh, with some injuries. 
But there were an awful lot of injuries uh, as, you know, Rondo missed some time, Lonzo missed some time, Ingram missed some time. So there's a lot of that going on. Uh, the problem is, and this was always my issue with Magic, Magic was treating this like a part-time job. And I don't think you can run a franchise as a part-time job. I'm not mad that Magic is walking away. You know, he's got other things to do. He's got his other business. You know, he doesn't need to do this. And we've all worked with somebody that's close to retirement that just doesn't get bogged down with things like everybody else does. You know what I mean? It's like (laughs) once somebody puts in their two weeks notice, nothing bothers them. You're like, man, we got a staff meeting. They're like, I don't care. And that's the way Magic was. He was he was not there. He, he and, and this isn't a knock on Magic, but he just he wasn't going to be. And, and part of that too is he wasn't going to be able to be Magic and still be part of the Lakers. You know, he is going to, as you like to say, tamper and everything like this. But he's going to comment on on players. I mean, he's he's done it. Uh, since he retired, you know, great players, this kind of thing. He's going to make his opinions known, but you can't do that if you're the president of a team. So Magic gets to step away and, you know, with with his movie theaters and whatever else his interests are, uh, you know, he gets to do that. Now the Lakers, I I don't know what they do. I, I have no idea. I was hoping that we would have a cohesive plan in place on what to do. Now I don't know. When you look at the the, the decisions that have been made, um, I was not for I, – I, I was for De'Aaron Fox over Lonzo Ball from the right. get-go. This isn't, this isn't a 2020 thing. I, I, if we looked at – and go back to the episode before the draft that year and leading up to it, of course, give me De'Aaron Fox. Give me six days a week. So you do that, you invite that circus in, which I wasn't a fan of. You let Julius Randle walk for nothing. And, and really, it wasn't even letting him walk. It was, you know, they yanked him around that whole last year. His playing time, it was all just up and down. Uh, I don't think he was ever going to be an elite player, but he could be, you know, a 15-8 guy. You know, 15-9, uh, you know, non-rebound guy, and you just you let him walk for nothing. What do you bring in? And then you get LeBron for whatever reason. You know, LeBron chose L.A., fine. But then I tried to talk myself into it, and I think you remember. I talked myself into Lance Stevenson and JaVale McGee and Rajon Rondo. I talked myself into it. But there was no way that could work. Just none. You know, no way that could work. Uh, they've become the Knicks of the West. Uh, so I don't know what they what they do to go from there. I don't know. Uh, I, the 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 revenue streams are still going to be there. The the Lakers are still the Lakers. You know, Jack Nicholson, Denzel. You know, the the celebrity is still going to go to Staples. That's not going to stop. But they've got to do something. Something to write the ship. I've said it for the last few years. This is the longest the Lakers have been bad in forever. Forever. 
I mean, it's a it's what a six year playoff drought. That's that's unacceptable. That's completely unacceptable. I mean, that is that's something. You know, maybe Houston Rockets fans are used to that. Maybe Boston Celtics fans are used to that. Lakers fans aren't used to these playoff droughts. We're not used to not being relevant. So they need to fix this in a hurry. And, okay, you know, like you said, close to retirement, and, you know, you don't really stress like everybody else does. Number one, what did he think being team president entailed? <laughs> you know, based on the press conference last night, you know, I, I, you know, I, I want to congratulate D Wade. I, I want to tweet that out. I can't be there. I want to mentor Ben Simmons, and I, I can't do that. Uh, <clears throat> okay, so you, you you didn't know that, and you mentioned you said he viewed it like a part time job, so. Had the wrong mindset going in. Uh, how does Genie bring him in for that role if he's not a hundred percent committed? Because you know they they so tight. She's like a sister. <laughs> he's like you know that's what he said. And if, if she's like a sister, how can you not even tell her <laughs> that you're gonna? Re- it was so weird and so bizarre. You know, I, I want to have fun again, and I don't want to fire Luke Walton. It's basically what he said, because I don't you know, I won't have to affect somebody's livelihood. So I'm quitting today. What? Uh, we just had a meeting for three hours yesterday about the direction of the organization. <laughs> but I didn't say nothing about nothing then. I tried to put myself in your position because I'm, look, not a Lakers fan, not ever going to feel sorry for the Lakers. But I said, look, what if Dominique Wilkins was in that same position and he had ran the Hawks in the ground? What if Akeem Olajuwon was in that same position and he had, you know, just nuke the whole Rockets franchise? What if Dale Murphy had done that to the brace? How am I feeling? I probably feel the same way as you. I'm not mad to see them go. So I was trying to empathize with you because that's your favorite player, your Excuse me, grammar. Your favorite player of all time that is just carving up your favorite team. So just that dynamic for you to be in that spot just had to be weird. Seeing your favorite player do that to your favorite team, you know, and you know his coaching tenure wasn't great, and now his president tenure. I think it's like a hundred games with the five hundred since he was, you know, it's ugh, it had to be just just rough. Yeah, and, and you know, and I think Magic. I don't think he went into it thinking this was a part time job. I think uh-huh. that Magic thought I'm Magic Johnson, and and some of the rules don't apply to me. And, and you know, when I'm thinking about what you call tampering and all this kind of stuff, I just think. He's like I'm, I'm Magic Johnson, and, and I and I get that, I, I you know, and I and I get that, uh, and then at the end, I think it became more trouble than than it was worth. I think he thought that, you know, he's Magic. He can direct LeBron in a certain direction. He can. I, I think he thought his personality alone would have been enough to get uh, Levar Ball kind of in a. 
you know, kind of get him to calm down. And that's just, it's it's not mm-hmm. the way it is. And, and you're not going to hear a lot of Lakers fans. I, I saw, I mean, I saw a lot of non-Lakers fans uh, bashing, you know, the Lakers, bashing Magic. Most Lakers fans like, thank you, Magic, and, you know, let's move on to the next part. A lot of, not a lot of people are bashing mm-hmm. uh, him. Yeah. You know, and the crazy thing is, as bad as the Lakers have been, there are a whole lot of franchises with championships much, much older. So it's not all all bad, but, yeah, they got to get this fixed. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, and that was, you know, that, that of course, dominated the evening because it was just a, just a bomb out of nowhere. And I don't know if you, you saw Stephen A. Smith on SportsCenter, and he was talking about how, uh, I guess, Magic was going to, you know, the rumor that, Walton was going to be let go, and that was supposed to be cool. But Stephen A. was saying that Magic was wanting to also relieve Palenka of his duties, and that wasn't cool. That was getting resistance. I don't know, from Jeannie or whoever else. And so there was a lot of angst and friction and, and, you know, all that kind of stuff going on behind the scenes, and according to Stephen A, it had been building, it had been brewing, and so maybe that's what Magic's talking about, wanting to be free and, and all this kind of stuff. So, uh, like you said, it is. It's just it's just a mess, and and it, it trumped everything. You know, you think if you go talk about D-Wade and Dirk, and boom, Magic is leaving the Lakers. So, yeah, it, it quickly became the lead story. Uh, I'm sure the media around him just, you know, we've been able to be in post games and little media sessions. I'm sure everybody there just, their mouth had to drop. Everybody immediately going to tweet it out and what? So just a whole weird situation last night. Yeah, it was, it was, it was bizarre. I was watching a little bit of it, seeing some tweets and just, yeah, it, it was a lot to take in. Yeah, for sure. So uh never had to talk about that. Um still got some playoff spots and stuff up for grabs. Houston could have locked down the number two spot last night, but they lost to the Thunder, so I think they're gonna be dropping down to the four spot. Um Denver I think is gonna be second, just behind the Warriors. You got Dwayne Casey and the Pistons fighting for eighth in the East against uh, the Hornets. So, going to get some teams in there that haven't been in a while. You know, either, I think the Magic, you got the Nets in there, potentially the Pistons or Hornets. So, there'll be some new names in there. Uh, so, that'll be fun. You and I always watch anyway because we love it. And this year's going to be no different. Uh, and we watch whether we got dogs in the fight or not. Uh, so it's the Warriors are looking vulnerable. Steph got his ankle hurt uh, the other night, another sprained ankle, that right ankle that he sprained several times throughout his career. They still might just kick it into gear now that it's playoff time, but you mentioned many times the mileage, the wear and tear, the playing together, the making these runs, the grind, how it can eventually wear on you. Will this be the year that it wears on Golden State, or will they still prove to be head and shoulders above everybody else? Uh, so there's that dynamic as well. Uh, it's going to be fun to see how it all all shakes out. Uh, 
you know, the Bucks are the best best record in the league. Uh, can they use home court throughout to get to the first finals in who knows how long? Since what Kareem and Oscar, Oscar Robinson, I guess, the last time they made the finals. So, a lot of interesting storylines in NBA, and you and I are here for all of them. Absolutely. You know, I'm going to watch uh, a lot. And again, you, you mentioned the Nets. You know, basically, uh, not only did Magic not draft De'Aaron Fox, but they let uh, D'Angelo Russell go. I mean, yeah, that that's the kind of things that 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 get you fired. And, and you know, I think had it been anybody else making those moves, the Lakers fans would have been a little bit more vocal. But you add it all up. Um, and the thing too, Lonzo Ball can be when he's healthy a decent ball player. But what you're looking at was Russell has done. Uh, what and he, you know, he's for a franchise for the Nets franchise. He's on some lists with Kenny Anderson, who you know I think is one of the greatest point guards of all time. Uh, Shout out to his help. It doesn't look Shout great. Out to his so. I, I, you know, letting 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 these kinds of things happen, uh, yeah, the Lakers just couldn't survive. And hope Kenny is continuing to be well too, because didn't mention it, but he had a stroke a few weeks ago. I knew you and him are, are buddies, uh, so we definitely hope he's getting better uh, as well. Absolutely, but, uh, he was he was a bad man. Uh-huh. And real quick too, before we go off the air, just shifting it real quick. Got to give congratulations to Bryant Stockton, the Stock Tony from the KY Sports Guys. He won our Balto Bracket Challenge, uh, so sent out a $50 prize to him. He won the Cats Talk Wednesday pool, so congratulations to him. He ended up with 86 points uh, and just kind of won going away. I think second was 77 or 79, so congratulations to the Stock Tony on winning our Balto bracket. Yeah, um, I didn't pick any Final Four teams, so it was it was a rough rough go, rough rough move for me. Yeah, yeah, it was had a tough time as well. Oh, so definitely want to mention that before we went off for the air, because anything that goes past eight can be on the podcast. I wanted to give Stock Tony his props. Real quick, to agree or disagree. If you had to pick coach of the year, I'm picking Nate McMillan because I immediately wrote the pages off when Victor Oladipo got hurt, and they have still been a top four, five team in the East all season long. And they've had other injuries in addition to him. They were really rolling when he got hurt, and I thought, well, this is just going to kind of sink their battleship, and it did not. So would you go with Nate for coach of the year or would you go with somebody else if you had a vote? Uh, yeah, I think you have to you have to look at expectations and um, kind of look at you know injuries and everything like that. Injuries are par- are part of it, uh, but the Pacers, you know, just throughout their history, the Pacers has just been kind of a snake bit franchise. You know, they were good when when Jordan was good. Right, yeah, that's when Reggie Miller and all the, you know, Chuck Persons, everything. Well, then, you know, then they had to go through Jordan. And then Jordan retires in the Knicks. 
you know, are their nemesis. And then, you know, they finally get to the playoffs and they, you know, get a buzzsaw in the Kobe Shaq Lakers, right? And then they they put together a really good team, but then they end up with the malice at the palace, right? So, yeah. but they've always kind of stayed relevant for such a small market, for such, you know, relatively in the middle of nowhere uh, kind of franchise. Uh, but they're, the fans are very passionate. McMillan's brought some toughness. I thought he kind of got uh, a raw deal when he was with Seattle uh, some years ago. Uh, so, yeah, so I would go with that. I, no one else is really jumping out at me as, as far as coach of the uh, coach of the year. Yeah, so I hope they can have a, a maximum run and, and get something going. Uh, and, and add that to the, the match regular season that they've had. But yeah, he, you know, he was the same way when he played. He just, you know, on a team with a lot of big personalities. You know, you had Chris Payton and Kemp and Dallas Shrimp and um, you know Vincent Askew and Sam Perkins and Hershey Hawkins. But he was just out there, kind of do more of this. Just I'm, I'm gonna play tough defense. I'm going to do my job. I'm going to score when I get an opportunity to do so. And then I'm going to go to the house. But just a, a solid career, and he's done the same thing as a coach. Just just went about his business and, and done well. Absolutely. Well, man, I think this show went well, and we hope the listeners feel the same way. We always try to bring a good two hours of fun each and every Wednesday. Uh, pardon my little nasal cavity. I got a little sniffly towards the end and uh, a little stuff in the air, a little pollen, all that flying around. Uh, got the nose running a little bit, so apologize for that, for sounding a little stuffed up, but still glad to see the springtime come, pollen notwithstanding. Uh, look forward to seeing whatever happens. We'll be talking about playoff games next week. We'll be talking about maybe more departures or maybe more returnees next week. Uh, we'll be staying up late watching the playoff games and all that, you know, and, and it's, it's that fun summertime. Derby fever is coming, so y'all be gearing up for that. So all that and whatever else news breaks along the way. We'll be sure to hit it uh, this time next week as well. Absolutely. Thanks again to our man Craig Bates for hopping on and, and giving us all kind of NHL knowledge, Stanley Cup playoff knowledge. And have a good week yourself, TV. Keep enjoying the spring weather. And we'll have fun doing all this all again yeah. next Wednesday. And thank you to our sponsors who helped bring us this evening's show as well. Absolutely. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks, Craig. Uh, and thank you, Vinny. Look forward to catching next week. Absolutely. Appreciate you, TV. Former man, Terry TV Brown. This is Vinny Hardy. That's Talk Wednesday. Brown and Hardy Radio Network. BlogTalkRadio.com. See you all next Wednesday. <laughs>